Hello, hello, guys. Welcome to the Janae Franco Show, episode 15. I am here with Elizabeth Leon, who has just released her first book, Let Yourself Be Loved. And I am just, Elizabeth, I am so, so honored to be here with you today. I um, got your book in the mail a couple of days ago, and I've been, I've read most of it. <laughs> I was binge reading it last night, and I am just sitting here so in awe of what God has done in your life. And I cannot wait to have you share your story with my readers. So welcome, readers. Thank You're you so here. much. <laughs> Thank you, Janae. Thank you so much. Privileged to be here. Awesome. Well, let's just go all in. Why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, about this book, and about why you are here today? Sure thing. So um, I'm Elizabeth, Elizabeth Leon. I am a Catholic wife, mother, speaker, author, musician um, from Northern Virginia. And in 2017, my husband and I found out that I was pregnant. So we're a second marriage. His wife died in 2010, which was the same summer that my first husband kind of lost his mind and left our family. And I began the process of going through a very unexpected, unwanted, messy divorce and later an annulment. And then Ralph and I were married in 2013, bringing together nine children, five of mine and four of his into kind of a big, super crazy Brady Bunch family. Um, and a few years after that, I was 45 at the time, that spring when I found out I was pregnant, we were just super, super excited, thrilled. We hadn't expected to have a new baby. I desperately wanted one, but we were old, or I thought that was old then. We had such a messy family with all of these kids, all of whom were grieving loss in one way or another. So we just had let that dream go away, but the Lord brought it back to us in a beautiful, exciting way. Um, so because I was of geriatric maternal age <laughs> is the word they give it now when you're in your mid forties, geriatric, we went and had all of the prenatal testing done. Um, you know, we're super pro-life. So it wasn't about that. It was really just about information. And my husband's a family physician. So we wanted to just be really informed knowing that at middle age, a healthy baby is not a sure thing. Really at any age, we know loss can happen, but the odds were not in our favor. And we were heartbroken to learn later that summer that our little boy, we found out, had um, an 87.7 positive value of having a condition known as trisomy 18, which is always a life-limiting condition. The medical community will call it um, incompatible with life, but that's super inaccurate because he was alive all along. You know, I was 16 weeks when we got the diagnosis, so he, his... Um, his life was going to be very limited by this condition. So we began the process of um, internalizing that news, sharing that news with our community, our friends and our family that we, we needed a miracle. We needed um, number one, a miracle of healing, a total healing and restoration for our little boy who we named John Paul Raphael. And if not that, the second was a miracle of him being born alive. Mm. And the third was a miracle of grace for how to walk through this journey of preparing to love and lose our son in what was surely going to be a very short period of time. Mm. Yeah. 
That is so powerful. Um, I loved how you mentioned in the book that you were going on a pilgrimage that was going to be a, a trip <clears throat> to Italy. And I would love for you to talk a little bit about what it meant to have Our Lady walk with you um, in that time, because I, I have also been to Rome once and there was just nothing like that, that breathtaking beauty of the Pieta and what that mm. meant. Um, I don't, I, I wish I had more understanding of what I was grieving at the time mm. when I saw it, but it was just breathtaking to me how she was holding the body of her son in yes. her arms. So beautiful. So um, we had been planning a five-year anniversary trip for ourselves to Italy. <laughs> Ralph had never been at the time. And then when I found I was pregnant, even before we got the diagnosis, we thought there's no way we're going to Italy next summer with a one-year-old. So we moved everything up and we're planning to go in September of 2017. Um, then with the pregnancy and the very likely diagnosis, I was going to be 20 weeks when we were going through Italy and it became a pilgrimage of hope and prayer and desperation, really. Like we brought our longings and our heartache and our suffering to every altar, every statue, every church through Rome, Florence, Assisi, Venice, like throughout Italy, we just brought our prayers and our heartache to the Lord. Um, and I did have such a powerful experience in uh, St. Peter's Basilica at the foot of the Pieta. I remembered being there when I was a fresh, young, 21-year-old, clueless girl <laughs> after college backpacking. And um, here I was coming so many years later after divorce and trauma and now so much fear for this little boy that I desperately, you know, I had found the love of my life in middle age and just longed for this child so desperately. And as I knelt there in front of our mother, and she is so full of sorrow, she has so bravely received the body of her Lord, of her son and her Lord. And I just thought, you know, she is the way through this. Like our mother is the only way through this valley of tears that I'm probably going to have to hold the lifeless body of my son in my arms. And I just poured it all out. I mean, I knelt there and I just wept. And we just brought everything to our mother and just asked her to walk with us and carry our baby and carry our family and carry our hearts to Jesus because that was just the only way through. Um, we also had another beautiful grace a little bit later. That was pretty early in our trip. We were there nine days. And when we were in Florence a few days later, we were just kind of touring around and we walked in this church and we saw a statue of Our Lady at the end of the aisle. And it was one that I was not yet familiar with. And I stared at it and I thought, oh my gosh, so dramatic. Our Lady had seven swords piercing right mm -hmm. through the center of her heart. And then the bells rang and mass started. So what, you know, that's the gift of being Catholic in Italy. Like you can go to mass all the time. Yep. And so we, we stayed for mass and we found out that we were there in that church on the feast of Our Lady of Sorrows. It was wow. September 15th. And I just wept because it was this unbelievable consolation that we were carrying such sorrow and that God had drawn us to this church exactly as mass was beginning and let us contemplate our lady and know that yes, there would be death, 
And yes, there would be intense suffering, but through faith, there would be the promise of not just resurrection to come, but resurrection here in the land of the living, that we just heard that hope that there would still be goodness and beauty along with this sorrow we were being asked to carry. Wow, that is so powerful. I I have only become familiar with Our Lady of Sorrows the last few years. <clears throat> it is one of the kind of patronesses of the work of Metalia Catholic in the Purgative oh, Way okay. and the Catholic mindset mm-hmm. training. And it's something I've heard referred to a lot, like, you know, through her the piercing of her heart, the thoughts of many will be revealed. And you share how in the book of how his death just pierced your heart and it brought so many things to the surface mm-hmm. that of healing and of things that had been kind of, you know, it's interesting how you talk through the book, how you were so in control and you were so prepared and you were so like researched that it took a while. Like you were mm-hmm. saying something that he was like 10 months, you know, beyond his birth, he would have been 10 months old and you were still so angry. And it was like, you were processing all of this stuff that you mm-hmm. had sort of tried to control and prepare for, you know, for, you kind of had to, in a sense, yes. right? Yeah. glad that so much of that was not, you were not blindsided. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's beautiful how she worked. First of all, it's really cool that that was your first exposure to her was like mm-hmm. <laughs> on her feast day. Yes. And maybe talk a little bit more about that. Like, how did you see, you know, this experience really open up your heart to healing in a way that you had not experienced before? Mm-hmm. So I've recently become aware of a, a phrase, an axiom that trauma, all trauma opens the door to past trauma, which Mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense. And sort of what I experienced was that I think most people acknowledge child loss is one of the worst griefs that our hearts can experience. And Mm -hmm. so it just ripped me open. Um, And in that exposure of my heart just laid bare, like there was no other way through it than to just be flayed open all of these other past traumas that I had not um, fully processed, or in some cases, I didn't even know about them over the next year really came to the surface. And it was kind of shocking and surprising because I, I didn't, I didn't expect that. Like I knew I would grieve my son, but I didn't expect to be um, overwhelmed really with all of this other trauma that the Lord was inviting me to look at in a deeper way that his promise of freedom was so great and so important that he used, not that he caused my son's death, but that he used my son's death to invite me to go so deep with him into places that I had either avoided or suppressed um, because they were too hard to deal with. And, you know, what I encountered was in, in planning for John Paul's death, you know, that anticipatory grief is really it's an, its own animal, a grief of its own kind, because we still have the illusion that we can control and manage it. And so you're so right that I did that very well. <laughs> and I think it was important. You know, mm-hmm. I would certainly encourage any other family that was out there and that is faced with a situation like this 
to avail yourself either through my book or through other resources of all the possible ways that you can make this limited time with your baby so beautiful. Like I knew it would be devastating, but we also were very intentional in how we could make it beautiful. And the Lord was so good because John Paul only lived 28 hours and 10 minutes. But the 36 weeks of fear and terror that we had held just ended at his birth. There was just joy. There was joy and love for 28 hours and 10 minutes. And I've asked myself, like, why wasn't I still afraid? Because I I knew he was still going to die. I didn't know when. I knew it was going to happen. But the love and the presence and the joy of the Holy Spirit, I mean, we just felt this holiness like dripping from the hospital room. Um, And I think part of it is that we were just so open to what the Lord was offering us. And that took work to bring ourselves to a place where we could be open to it. Like that process of surrender was very active. The planning for the things we would do, the handprints and the footprints. And we made a playlist and we had his blanket and, you know, we recorded his heartbeat and we had a cologne that we sprayed in the air. Like we really engaged all of our senses and bringing beauty and meaning to the short, beautiful life that we were offered, which allowed us to fully embrace it and live in that joy. But because I had planned so much, what I learned later is that I had also normalized something that was so unimaginable so Mm -hmm. that I could walk through it. And it did take about 10 months before the rage finally kicked in, like righteous rage. I wasn't angry at God, which was part of the problem. I wasn't mad at my husband. I wasn't mad at John Paul. I was a little bit mad at my body sometimes. I had to kind of process through feeling like my body had betrayed me, but we got through that lie. But there was just this rage at the wrongness of death that took me a long time to get to because in order to walk through death, I had to make it okay. I had to make it small enough that I could contain it in my feeble little heart. Mm. And then God invited me to say, you know what? It is okay to scream and rage against this because death was not my plan. God said, you know, death was plan B, (laughs) but that he made so glorious through our Lord. Um, And I raged, I yelled and I screamed at my husband. I threw things, um, you know, that ugly grief, I call it ugly grief or the grief beast just kind of roared through my life for a period of time, which was scary and humbling, um, but so important to be so honest about how bad it felt. Yeah, I loved reading how you sort of handle that, where you, you like made the pile of things that you could throw, <laughs> yes. like yeah. in your house where it was like, man, that is like, Legit. I mean, I yeah. guess I feel like any process of trauma, I know for myself, when I was going through some counseling and dealing with some grieving uh, of things in the past, the rage was like, it was real. It was so, because it was just this, like you're saying, it's this righteous rage. I mean, there was a point where there, there was a point when I was mad at God and I needed to express that. But it was like, I remember my spiritual director at the time was like, <clears throat> do you see the cross? Mm-hmm. He can take it. He can take it. He wants your heart as it is. Like you trying to pretend like it's not there. 
you trying to cover it up with control or planning or all these other things. It's like, it's not doing anybody any good because it's got mm -hmm. to come out. Because mm -hmm. like you said, I, I love that part. I just wrote quickly in my notes, right. That death was never meant to be a part of life. Yeah. You know, Adam and Eve were the ones that brought that. I forgot exactly <laughs> how I did it, but, but I was, I've, we say that at marriage, some of these marriage retreats that we do, I've heard one of the talks we talk about that where it's like, yeah, a child dying is like, that's not, should not be normal. That's not, no, that's not, it's, the plan. Not, okay. like, it's not meant yeah. to be. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah. And I would love for you to talk a little bit more too um, on how your husband and you handled this during that mm -hmm. time. I've done a little bit of work with Redbird Ministries. I'm going to put a link for them and any other resources you would like for me to include in the show notes. I'm happy to do so uh, because they say something about the effect of like divorce rates among couples that have experienced yeah. child uh, loss is a lot higher. And that's their goal mm -hmm. in the Catholic church is to really reach couples that have experienced miscarriage, mm -hmm. loss of a child of any age at all. Mm -hmm and help them to understand how that looks as a couple. So I'd love to hear mm -hmm. your thoughts on that and how that works. Sure, yeah, and I love Redbird Ministries and I do wanna plug right now, maybe you can throw in the yeah. show notes. They have yeah. a beautiful Lenten journal that they're offering for sale to families that have gone through child loss called I Am Blessed, Not Broken. So mm -hmm. I know they're really, um, it's gorgeous. It's a beautiful, beautiful journal. So I would encourage you to get a copy of that if you're someone who has also gone through child loss. Um, we were really I was blessed to have a friend who had lost her son several years before John Paul died. And in reaching out to her, she had shared with me the importance of radical acceptance in grief. So this was something I, I kind of held all that already coming into this process. And she used the phrase, and I share it in the book, I took it for my own and use it all over the place. So this is what grief looks like today. And what that allowed was a curiosity about what grief is. And it also allows for that radical acceptance that my grief on this day is going to be different than my husband's grief on this same day. And that we have to give each other this radical permission to take grief at the pace that we need to. Um, and it caused a lot of missteps as he and I tried to figure this out. I mean, I'm a very emotional, um, wear my heart on my sleeve kind of person. And my husband feels things very deeply, but he's also a physician and, you know, death is part of what he deals with on a regular basis. So he processes it and expresses it very differently. So as we were beginning this journey, I needed to think and plan through all these things. You know, and Ralph said, like he's not even born yet. And you've called a funeral home. Mm -hmm. like, I feel like you're burying him and he's not even here. And I said, but calling a funeral home is terrifying. So I want to get that out of the way. I want to have done the scary thing now. So I don't have to be so scared of it anymore. So it was, you know, steps like that where we had to just, I wasn't right. And he was wrong. He wasn't right. And I was wrong. It was just, we were both right. And we needed different things in that moment. And things like that happened all along the way. We were just a little bit out of sync with each other, but it was okay because we knew that we each needed to care for ourselves in this disorienting, shocking, terrible place in the way that we each needed. 
know, I write in the book about the first Thanksgiving of John Paul died, which just stands out as one of those terrible missteps when I was so fixated on this first holiday. How could we possibly get through this first holiday without our son? And didn't know what I needed. I just was afraid of it. And I knew it would feel bad. And it did. But I only knew what I needed at the precise moment that my husband stood up to say grace before our very large family gathering at my grandmother's house. And I thought, oh, I know what he's going to do. He's going to do what he did every night at our house. He would say grace and that he would remember John Paul by name and he would say, pray for us. And I would feel so much better except he didn't like he read this random poem, which he never does. He didn't say anything about our son. And then grace was over. And I burst into tears at the table (laughs) because he had failed me. This is, you know, how I felt. He had failed me. I needed this and he couldn't give it to me. And Mm. again, my feel, my feelings were super understandable. They were fine. My husband's actions were totally understandable. They were fine. We just had to be very honest and mess our way through that and love each other despite those missteps. So um, a lot of grace, a lot of compassion for accepting where each other's at um, and knowing you're going to do it wrong and you're going to love each other anyway. And then you'll try again next time. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome advice. I know. Um, it's so hard. It's hard enough as I'm in a marriage, you know, to <laughs> to understand each other on a daily basis. I would imagine that adding that that layer of grief is just is just such an important thing to find couples like you and Ralph and and through what Redbird Ministries does with that mentoring and the the learning is to seek that out if it's something that you need. Um, if it's not working or find a marriage counselor, if that's something that you mm-hmm. need, you know, all of yes. those things I think are such important steps to acknowledge what's going on and not shove it down and just think like everything's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would love to hear, um, I, I loved, okay, <laughs> so many notes. I'm like, which one? <laughs> um, I, I want to hear you talk a little bit too. It would really meant a lot when you were talking about your grief and how it looked, you weren't just grieving a baby. You were grieving a three-year-old running in circles around the table and a kindergartner going to school for the first time and Mm -hmm. like giving yourself permission. Was that something that you, that sort of came from the fruit of like allowing yourself to feel those feelings? Um, Mm -hmm. How did that kind of come up for you? Sure. Well, I think as I was pregnant, I I tried to grab onto any other memoirs about child loss. Like I'm a big reader. And that's part of why I wrote the book was I got so much from the stories of other women and how they walked through these um, unbelievable paths, not just women, men too. Um, And one of the authors her, she wrote about her son. This was Elizabeth McCracken, wrote a beautiful memoir, and she wrote about her son was stillborn. And she commented on how the greatest grief that she experienced was how normal their life still was. Mm. That in pregnancy, this was their first baby, they were waiting to be transformed. And then they found themselves back in their normal, ordinary life. 
And that stayed with me because the loss of a baby, like one of the unique griefs to that is I think so often if you lose a parent or an older child or a friend, like you, you think about going back, like if only we could just go back and have Mm. that time again, but with a baby, you never had the time to begin with. Mm. So, I mean, yes, I had 28 hours and 10 minutes and every day I would go back and live that again, knowing that the death was coming because of how much I love my son and how much joy and beauty there was. And I miss him. But that child loss, infant loss, is all about the life you didn't get. It's all of those futures. You have lost the transformation that didn't come in the child Mm. that you have dreamed. I mean, every mother does that, right? When you're pregnant, you imagine an entire future laid out in front of you with this child. And... That is one of that is one of the main things that you lose when you lose a baby through miscarriage or infant loss or even a young child is you lose the future that you no longer have. So yeah. I walked through that so often and I still do. I mean, as a grieving mother, I'm always counting. Like I know that John Paul would be four years and seven weeks this week. And so I'm always on the lookout when I'm out and about like, what little child around me that you know looks like they could be four four years and seven weeks old? I always have my eyes open for finding that child. Um, just taking them in because you you grieve what you didn't get, along with the loss of what was there in our arms, that beautiful baby boy. Wow. You know that's I, I have heard. I had a friend who. <clears throat> lost her child to cancer. And that was one of the things when she talked about, he was, goodness, I think he was eight years old when he died. Mm-hmm. He started his cancer journey when he was two. And it was some of the, one of the things I had never thought of, you know, um, <clears throat> was how she was like, it's just not fair of having to, it's like you're having to constantly be on guard against mm-hmm. or be ready for that grief wave to hit you kind of at any, at any point. Um, because you'd be like, he, he should be in this grade and he should be here. And it's like, that's the mm-hmm. hardest part is that her, you know, her other children that were younger didn't maybe know him or mm-hmm. your life is just so normal. Mm-hmm. I also, I think it's really interesting. It's, it's a different sort of topic, but I really, I loved, it just was really compelling to me when you talked about how this baby in particular, in relation to your marriage, you said, I feared that somehow without children, our marriage didn't count. And I really would love for you to speak, especially to maybe those who are infertile or who have experienced miscarriages, who have a marriage where like, you know, they haven't gotten to have children together. Um, What was your experience in that? How did you process that? You know, what would you say to someone who's struggling with that, where you said you had a friend who she just went right back to normal, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, that's such a delicate area. And, um, I want to be really tender with any of your audience members that are dealing with infertility because I mean, the reality is I have had six children, so I don't know a thing about what it really feels like to face Mm -hmm. infertility and the intense grief of knowing that that dream is not something that you're going to realize in the way you thought you were going to. Mm -hmm. Um, And Ralph and I have a, a, I can't say unique. I mean, hopefully we'll meet other people that have had the same 
coming together of death and divorce. You know, being a second wife in this situation was, you know, a grief in and of itself of figuring out how to, neither one of us, no one ever thinks they're going to be someone's second spouse. Um, so we had a lot of messy waters over the years of trying to figure out even how to do that, how to be respectful of our and, and honoring of our first families. I mean, even though I was divorced, I loved my husband, my first husband desperately, and I loved our family. And I know Ralph felt the same way. So there's so much complexity to bringing families together when neither one of us ever imagined having this third family together. Um, but there is always that longing. And it really was something I had to be honest about and let myself feel that sense of who were we to each other without this child in front of us. Um, and the truth is, even though it doesn't feel great, none of our living children are going to like, they're not going to want all the cards that Ralph and I wrote to each other. Or, you know, we think about our parents like way in the future. Like if your parents are still married and your parents died, like your parents' love story matters to you. You know, as children, my parents were divorced. So I, I don't have that experience, but I know a lot of people that's so true. And none of our kids care that much about our love story. They just don't. <laughs> Like, I think they're happy that we have each other and we've done our very best to provide a beautiful Catholic family home and a joyful life for them, but they don't care that much. <laughs> and I don't say that with animosity. It's just true. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that was really something I had to grieve because I lost that. I desperately never wanted to be divorced. Um, and that's a whole nother conversation, but I had to, I had to grieve having the children that cherish our love and trust mm -hmm. that John Paul does cherish our love and that he smiles on us in the ways that we love and care for each other and how our sacrament um, brings life to the world, whether it's our family or our ministries or, or all those things. So that took some working through. Yeah, absolutely. So how, how have you seen, you know, since you mentioned that he smiles on you, right? Um, how has that changed the way that you show up in your life, knowing that you have a child that, you know, you got to heaven and you get to, after, you know, after sorting through the grief, um, how has it affected the way that you show up in your life and how you live for the Lord or has mm -hmm. it? Well, I do want to say that in the category of things that you don't know what to say to someone when they've lost a child, while true, having someone tell you, now you have a saint in heaven is not always very helpful. <laughs> that is, that is, it, is very true. it is super true. And I believe that with my whole heart. But I feel like that phrase really needs to wait like six to nine months, like wait a while before you lay on the like gratitude for having a saint in heaven. Um, that being said, I, you know, I've got three teenagers right now and, and older children. So we are in the thick of some really messy parenting and it has been consoling to know that no matter what happens with our other kids and their faith or their lives or their choices, we succeeded with 
one of them. Like one of them is in heaven. So there are times when that truly is a consolation. <laughs> like job well done. We are at this point one for 10. <laughs> and and that, that does feel great. And there is this beautiful communion that as Catholics, we understand this communion of saints and in some ways, I do feel closer to John Paul Raphael than I even do to my living children mm-hmm. because I mean, I miss him so desperately, but our souls can communicate and be present to one another in a way that I, I can't with my children that are, are here in front of me. Mm-hmm. And while I would never trade one for the other, um, it is a beautiful reality of our of our spiritual truths of our of our faith that I can speak to John Paul all the time and that he can connect with me and my prayers in a beautiful way that um, we can't see or touch, but that I hold as true. So that is beautiful. I also am firmly um, convinced that his intercession for our family has been powerful. We've mm-hmm. had, you know, without going into details for their own privacy, some situations with some of our living children that have had miraculous changes after John Paul's death that I really do believe his intercession for our family um, was a huge, huge part of that. Mm-hmm. But it's a change. It's a, it takes a lot of faith to parent and love your child when they're no longer here on earth. Mm. Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> what I was curious about is obviously you took this experience and you wrote a book and you said part of you wanting to write a book. Like, what has it been like? Did you Do you feel like his death and your subsequent healing? Because you mentioned that it, it triggered some much deeper healing. I don't remember exactly how much we talked about of that. Was there something in you that was just like, I can't keep this silent? Like I have to, because I know I've experienced that where I, you know, have had a great healing after, you know, a couple of years of just really being in the grief and in the rage and in all of the things. And then I kind of came to this other side, not saying it's all done or it's not, you know what I'm saying? Right. It's all done, but there's just this burning in my heart of like, Mm -hmm. I can't, I can't keep silent for the good. Mm -hmm. I did not ask that question well the first time, but it's like, did he, did he like inspire you in a sense of like, Mm -hmm. did you have extra courage or extra boldness or just like wanting to go out and tell the world this story so that, you know, people would let themselves be loved. And you could even talk a little bit about what the title means to you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, absolutely. Yes. And I'm sorry, you did ask it. Well, I think I just ended up on a tangent. No, I think it's a great great thing to say. We can go there after this because I think people need to know what not to say. Right. right. No, absolutely. Um, (laughs) You know, my, my, the subtitle of the book, you know, it's let yourself be loved big lessons from a little life. And my first subtitle was how the darkness of grief led me to peace, purpose, and joy. And I ended up changing it because one, that felt a little bit daunting for maybe that would turn people off, but also because the lessons of John Paul Raphael's life were, were far more expansive than just that. But that was truly one of them. The mystery was that grief began to transform me in a way that was entirely unexpected. And, you know, we touched on it with some of these other traumas that came up. 
But the title of Let Yourself Be Loved really came directly from the Holy Spirit the night before we buried John Paul Raphael. Mm -hmm. I wanted to speak at his funeral. I had done, you know, a, a handful of public speaking events in the past and very few people had met John Paul, despite the fact that hundreds and hundreds of people came to his funeral. And Ralph and I wanted to say something of his short and shining life. Like what, what was the purpose? What were we supposed to take away from this? What was God asking us to say? And so I sat in our adoration chapel the night before we buried him and I had nothing. Like I sat there with my laptop. I was like, Holy spirit, I feel called to do this, but what am I going to say? And clear as day, those words came to me, let yourself be loved. And I began to reflect on John Paul's life that those 28 hours and 10 minutes were all love, total love in a tangible way. We felt love in that hospital room. And every person that came in experienced that love and commented on that love. And how could that be? How could preparing to let our son die be so much love? And it was because we were so surrendered to the moment and we just were so present to what God was going to offer us. And we trusted him so completely. And that John Paul Raphael didn't have to do anything. Like we just loved him. And he was this perfectly imperfect little baby. We just loved him. And I heard the Lord invite me to let myself be loved that way. I mean, I had been on a healing journey at this point for about six years since my divorce, seven years, very actively seeking healing and freedom and feeling really stuck. And the grief cracked me open in a way that God could say, will you let me go all the way in and just lay down all of your defenses, all of your self-reliance, even lay down your dreams for your whole life and let me come in and love you just as you are and stop trying so hard. Um, and that was the invitation to me. And as I began to consider it, I mean, yes, it just has bubbled in me. It has grown in me. And as the darkness of grief brought me this possibility that life doesn't have to be so scary. It doesn't have to be so hard and I don't have to be so afraid and I don't have to earn the freedom mm -hmm. that is our promise. Mm -hmm. And so all of these treasures began to grow in me through grief. And I also just radically began to accept my own self. You know, I was so full of self-contempt and self-judgment and all kinds of residue from trauma that slowly God said, just keep telling me, tell me how you feel, bring yourself just as you are. Mm. And I will love you right there. And that process as it unfolded and I began to just realize all of these worst things had already happened. Like my first husband was unfaithful. I ended up going through a divorce. My daughter had mental illness. My child had died. Like I didn't know what to be afraid of anymore. Because in each of these instances, God showed up so profoundly and he brought me his presence. And so I thought, wow, that's kind of the point, isn't it? That we are not meant to live in fear. We are meant to live in radical trust and abandonment to the love of the Lord. And that is what I learned through losing our son, because it just invited me to let go of everything and let the Lord in to just love me and live from the freedom and joy of that love. Mm -hmm. 
And you're right, I really can't keep silent about it. I mean, it's the name of my book and the name of my blog. And um, I'm really inviting, you know, I'm developing a, a new ministry called Ooh. Journey of the Beloved, which is, so as people read the book and they hear this invitation to live life in freedom, I mean, freedom came for me after about eight years of healing work. And that is no joke. Like healing mm -hmm. is hard. Healing is really hard. You know, the, the gospel for today, even uh, Jesus heals the, the blind mm -hmm. man. Mm -hmm. But, you know, our pastor gave a beautiful homily on it and Jesus heals him. And he's like, can you see? And the guy says, well, yeah, I see some shapes, people kind of walking around like trees. And then Jesus is like, okay, I'll try again. And he heals him a second time. And now the guy can can see clearly. <laughs> Obviously, Jesus didn't mess up. It wasn't like, <laughs> take yeah. two. We are, we, are meant to see, we are meant to know that healing is a journey and it is a process. And we, can the Lord heal us like that so that everything is perfect? Yes. Does he normally? No. He invites us to draw close to his heart through this journey of healing so that no matter what it is that life dishes out, whether it's sexual abuse or emotional trauma or divorces or death or mental challenges, you know, job loss, so many things mm -hmm. that we are, we are meant to bring the kindness and the goodness of God to all that trauma and tell the truth about what happened. Um, I really do feel like I'm very proud of the fact that I think I really have told the truth in this book in a way that some people say it's a little bit hard to read because it's very raw. I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't hold back. Like I say exactly how painful it was, but I, am, I invite readers into that because I want all of us to feel like we can tell the truth about our lives, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, I've been so on fire for the gospel of Mark when the hemorrhaging woman comes mm. to Jesus. You know, she touches the tassel of his garment and she's healed. And Jesus turns around and says, who touched me? Well, obviously he knows who touched him, but he invites her to come forward so that he doesn't want her just to be healed. He wants her to have an encounter with him personally. And the gospel of Mark says, the woman told him the whole story. Like she fell yeah. at his feet. She told him the whole story. And I've stopped in that moment for a long time. I mean, this is a woman that bled for 12 years that was ostracized from her community who doctors couldn't help. She was ritually unclean. She wasn't a part of worship or relationship. The whole story had to have taken a long time and the whole truth had to have been pretty messy and honest. And like, that's the invitation that mm -hmm. we are each called to bring everything that we are, be fully human. Like Jesus was fully human mm -hmm. and we are going to receive the fullness of the glory that God wants to offer us when we are also fully human. Um, so I just am... Yeah on fire to spread this message, to let yourself be loved. And if you don't know what that means or how to do it, begin the journey of the beloved, either with me or through a thousand of other ways mm -hmm. into the heart of Christ through the life that you've been given to live. That we only get this one wild, beautiful life. Like, mm -hmm. It's supposed to be full of joy. And if it's not, then there's healing to be done. And that is mm -hmm. possible. So thank you for giving me a chance to say all that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just such a, it's so beautiful to hear you speak. I just, 
could just shout the same things from the rooftops. It, it's funny, the phrase itself, because God's been kind of working on a lot of that in my own life lately. And so I was kind of glad for the timing um, because it really resonated with me. And I remember <clears throat> when you were just talking, you were saying it's a lot of work to be healed, which it is. Mm-hmm. You know, but a lot of the work is honestly just how hard it is to like to show up, to reach out and yes. touch them of the garment to keep going to adoration, to keep showing up for prayer time, even though your heart is broken, you know, to sing that praise song. You know, I remember there was a time when I was struggling with my relationship, like with just the idea of God as a father. And that song, I don't know if you've heard the song, Run to the Father. Uh, Oh, yes. yes, yes. Because he's good. And I remember like singing that and being angry. I was like, he's not good. And like, that's just where I was. And I, I remember like a distinct kind of change when he showed me how he was actually good um, and where he was in a lot of this process. But that's something that came to mind when you were talking was it's hard work because you have to be vulnerable. You have to be willing to change. You have to be willing to see, for instance, like I feel like a lot of times it can be easy to get caught up in self-pity or like, why me? Or, um, and obviously all of those things are, if you feel that way, like feel that way. Sure. But at the same time, like Jesus was completely innocent. He was mm-hmm. completely human and completely innocent. And my daughter said something interesting the other day and I was quick to correct her. So you're talking about Jesus, you know, suffering and dying for us. And she's like, yeah, but he didn't feel the pain because he was Jesus. And I was like, well, actually mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, he yes. felt it. I don't know where I heard this, but it was... <sighs> Talk about how he felt it even more and Mary the same way. They mm-hmm. feel the pain even more than we're capable. Like, and we do because they're so pure. They're so clean and they're so like, you know, they're sinless. So it's like, yes. they feel it in such a deeper way. And like he mm-hmm. voluntarily did that for me. And so it's like, mm-hmm. it's kind of one of those moments where like God's calling you out, but in a loving way, you know, yes. like it's, never want to feel like God's like shaming you into something, right? Like that's never helpful. Mm -hmm. But when he's, when you're ready for that, where it's like, oh no, but like, look what I, look what I gave you. And Mm -hmm. to be able to look at that and contemplate it. Well, and to unite those two pieces, I mean, the Lord had really shared already. And I, and I, and I share a little bit about it in the book. I had this vision, I suppose, for lack of a better word that he had brought me of how to actually bring our suffering right to the foot of the cross. And in this vision, I like drag a stepladder. I drag a stepladder right to the foot of the cross. And I'm like, I'm not sitting here at the bottom. I am climbing up and I climb all the way up and I'm holding my own suffering. And I just stick my hand right up there Mm. into the heart of Christ in that wound on his side with my suffering that we are really meant that honestly to unite our sufferings to Christ, to, Mm -hmm. to see how he hurts and to look at how we hurt and that doesn't mean our hurt doesn't matter because his is so much worse. It means that they are, we can unite them so that mm-hmm. our suffering then can have purpose. I mean, we don't need to work really hard to find, like make our suffering matter. Mm-hmm. But the truth is as Catholics, as Christians, because of the cross, it does. Mm-hmm. So we can bring it and unite it to his suffering. Which means that, yes, we still hurt as badly as we do. But Jesus knows that. He's like, bring it all the way into me. I'm right here. I want you to unite your suffering to my heart. Mm-hmm. Because that then we actually console him when we do that. Mm-hmm. We console 
console him by helping, you know, the, the gospels taught or the St. Paul's letters talk about this, about how our sufferings make up for the suffering in Christ's heart, which is so theologically deep, but, um, <laughs> but yes. To, to it's worth diving it. into it. For sure. Yeah. Is it, have you read Consoling the Heart of Jesus? I have multiple times. Yeah. Love it. I think that's yeah. where they talk a good bit about that in there, correct? Mm -hmm. It's been a little mm -hmm. while. I've read By it Father time. Michael Daly. Yes. <laughs> yes. Agreed. I think it's, um, I love that image of getting the mm -hmm. stepladder, just like putting so it right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we're not alone. You know, how, how often does, you know, the evil one want to tell us that we're alone in our suffering? And I think that's what's so beautiful about your courage and, and I personally, I love how, uh, how raw and honest you are, because that's something mm -hmm. that I really strive to do, you know, in everything I do for the most part, as long as I'm, you know, allowed to be that honest. Okay. I mean, <clears throat> without that, you can't have authentic healing. Yeah. You can't have authentic, if you're not truly being who you are, you know, mm -hmm. and Brene Brown does such a great job of talking about how you can't selectively numb. So like if you reject certain mm -hmm. emotions, then you reject all of them. Like everything gets muted. If you try to mute um, the sorrow and the grief or the confusion and the anger and all those things, then you're going to mute the joy and the happiness. And I just feel so emboldened after losing John Paul because one of the profound lessons that I share, one of the chapter titles is joy and pain are both God's love story. Mm. So often in our suffering, we, we create additional suffering by feeling like we're alone in it. And we forget that, no, like our Lord is a, the, a man of sorrows. Mm -hmm. And so this suffering is his love story. It is how he is going to call me to his sacred heart if I'm open to that. Mm -hmm. So as soon as I kind of began to embrace that and live from it, it really has changed. It has changed everything. Just life is brighter and more colorful and more full and more beautiful and yes, more painful, but I, I don't want it any other way. I want to be all in. And so mm -hmm. all in is pretty darn messy some days. <laughs> Gosh, that's true. And I loved one of the, I don't know if it was a chapter title. It's um, the one about miracles. Oh, yes. You, yes. you know it, you say it. <laughs> the miracle that you get is not always the miracle that you pray for. Um. Yeah. You know, and that's probably the one line from the book that gets me every time was when I realized that the miracle of John Paul Raphael's life was not that he was healed, but that I was thrown in. Mm. And that's what God wants for us. Like all of our suffering is an invitation to let him heal us and to experience the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now, like that's the promise. Mm hmm. Amen. I mean, I don't think there's anything else that needs to be said. <laughs> well, Amen. So, you know, as you've said before, you've got this journey of the beloved, you're developing some workshops and mm -hmm. we can, I'll put all of that information in the show notes so they can find sure. you, your website, your book, uh, if they're interested in ordering that, which I highly recommend. I think, um, whether you have experienced child loss yourself or you would like to understand, I mean, I think your story is beautiful no matter what, you know, I personally have not experienced child loss. And so it's something that I um, have, have kind of 
shied away from sometimes like talking about or if I've had mm -hmm. friends like I haven't quite understood that dynamic you know of sure. how to hold that space because it's like do I say this do I say that I don't want to say the mm -hmm. wrong thing you know um but in the last year or two I just have felt more and more called to be and I feel like this book itself has really mm -hmm. broken that open for me in a way that it's mm -hmm. like they need we need you need to share your story. You need to share your grief with, with your friends, especially like I would hate to have a friend that didn't feel like they could come to me with their grief that um, just holding space for our friends is so important. Saying their name out loud, asking, you know, if it's a close friend, like celebrating their birthday, you know, all of those things. I think it's so important. And whether it's child loss grief or, or other grief, I mean, the reality is grief um, comes for all of us and um, grief and trauma. Like we don't, none of us escape this life without dealing with our brokenness in some way, shape mm -hmm. or form. So I do think it's a book that speaks to the broader yeah. conversation of grief, but also how to live with heartache and disappointment in a way that allows life to still be beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. I recommend this book to pretty much anybody, <laughs> no matter where you are. <laughs> um, I think so such a beautiful read. And again, I just really admire your authenticity. It's something I think that the world needs more of is to be more emboldened to live our lives. Um, you said something beautiful about how, and we won't have to go into it, but about your, how your heart expanded in, you know, and how your husband and you have a different kind of love because you've both held pain and sorrow or pain and, and love or mm -hmm. joy and grief, something like that, where it was like, you've held yeah. them both together and it just allows your heart to be, expanded in a way that you, you know, you don't experience otherwise. And so I think it's, um, it's just really beautiful. So I, I'm grateful to have had you here uh, Aww, again. Janae, thank you so much. You are more than welcome. It was so, such a blessing. And I wish you all the best on your book tour and all of the things thank that you, you have coming up. So mm -hmm. again, I'll put this in the show notes. You can find Elizabeth on Instagram and her website and the books. Yes, ElizabethLeon.org. Easy to find. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, thank you, Elizabeth. Oh gosh. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be with you guys today. Um, and yeah, if you are not on my email list or Elizabeth's, you can sign up. Uh, I've got some exciting stuff coming out on some groups and a program that I'm putting together. So be sure and sign up there. So you'll be one of the first to find out. So you guys have a great week and I look forward to seeing you guys next week. God bless. <laughs>